By the time they were ready to push the switch and let it blow, they had loaded seven and a half tons of dynamite into these 20 holes. And when it went off, it took down 60,000 tons of limestone, shot it over 400 feet in places. This is Dana Cudmore from Cobaskill, and I'm the author of a new book called Farming with Dynamite, the story of the forgotten stone boom in Schoharie County. This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. Believe it or not, my guest Dana Cudmore is not related to me. Dana is an authority on the caves of Schoharie County and has a new book, as he just said, Farming with Dynamite. Uh, the book is at local bookstores, also found online on the uh, Dana uh, Cudmore uh, website. What are we talking about here, farming with dynamite? Well, um, while I was researching the 2021 book, Underground Empires, there's an entire section about the Howells Cave Quarry. And as I was researching that, uh, a lot of other little quarry names kept popping up. And um, I didn't recognize all but one of the names. And um, there was a little news article. It was called the Klondike Quarry. And the, just a simple sentence, Klondike Quarry receives $2 million contract from New York City. And that was in 1903. That was a $65 million contract in 1903 from a quarry that um, I had been to but really wasn't familiar about. And the light bulb went off, and I said, you know, something, something's going on here. There's, there's more than just one quarry in Schoharie County. Eventually, I came across 31 different quarries in Schoharie County, and they all operated between about 1890. In 1905, and what was happening during those years was the Brooklyn Bridge was being constructed, and the uh, state was expanding the barge canal system. And so, two or three of these big quarries in Schoharie County uh, had had huge contracts, employed hundreds of men, and um, while the boom was short-lived, concrete. Came into the picture in 1903, and as soon as they started, they they died. Saying is that before there was concrete, there was there were stones, and they had to be quarried or taken out of the ground and uh, put to put to use. Correct, and it was uh, it was a very manual process. The quarries employed uh, again. I said the quarries employed hundreds. And uh, it usually involved dynamite. There were a lot of little mom-and-pop quarries, I call them. Dynamite was easy to get. And if you were a farmer and you found bluestone, for example, on your property, you could, <laughs> you could farm with dynamite. The title actually comes from a, a publication by the maker of dynamite, DuPont. And they put out, while I was researching all this, I came across this little book DuPont put out around the beginning of the 20th century, called Farming with Dynamite. I just thought what a great title that is. And it was the handbook for farmers on what they could do with dynamite. Well, you've kind of done this already, but walk us through the process. So a farmer's got a field, he's got a lot of rocks there, stones, and and what he uses the dynamite to 
To do what? To move the stones or to break them off? Correct. The A couple of examples. One is from the town of Esperance, which borders Schenectady County. And um, as the railroad was coming through, they uncovered bluestone. And it was right along the square creek there heading, uh, heading west. Several farmers right along there found bluestone on their property. They would drill or they would uh, dig a spot where they could uh, easily get at the bluestone. And, you know, it took a couple of, couple of blasts from the, the dynamite. And uh, they would pull it. They, they had a wholesaler that they worked with. And then it would go to the train depot and, and be shipped to, uh, to buyers everywhere. My, the idea that I got was that they used to, before concrete, they used to build, like, the town courthouse or somebody's monument out of out of stone uh pieces of stone so i mean were these big pieces of stone that they they then shipped out on the railroad and the canal and so forth right well the the example i gave you was kind of a mom and pop operation uh the big quarries would blast and don't have any real records of how they did that except for one and the numbers are pretty amazing uh, this is from the House Cave Quarry, and again, at around the turn of the 20th century. First, they cleared what they would call the overburden. And to you and I, that's the earth. <laughs> they cleared what was over the stone. Mm-hmm. And they cleared a, a section that was 150 feet long. It was about 50 feet wide. In that area, they drilled 20 equally spaced holes that were 90 feet deep. And into those holes, they would start loading dynamite. There were different grades based on the the strength of the limestone that they were trying to break out. And at the bottom, they used a heavier grade or more powerful uh, stick of dynamite. Towards the top, they didn't need as much, so they used a lesser grade. By the time they were ready to uh, push the switch and let it blow, they had loaded seven and a half tons of dynamite into these 20 holes. And when it went off, it took down 60,000 tons of limestone, shot it over 400 feet in places. Um, from there, it was it was cut. They'd put the stone cutters to work. I have a great quote in the book uh, about how the expert stone cutters could make a surface almost as smooth as glass. Huh. And it was sold sold by the cubic yard, and typically it was anywhere from between 8 inches and 30 inches thick. Huh. Very, very labor-intensive. Yes, I guess so. And uh, and a skilled workforce as well, these um, stonecutters. Correct. There were, uh, uh, many of them were recent immigrants. About half of the labor force at that time had, had recently immigrated from, from either Italy or from Poland. Of course, we never treat immigrants that great, and there were, there were problems with some of the unions, the Italians working there. But generally speaking, it was, it was considered a skilled trade to be able to take a, a cut a piece of stone and to the right shape and size and then smooth, uh, smooth the surface to fit mm-hmm. in foundations and large buildings, what have you. Were a lot of people hurt doing this, or did they get killed by the, the dynamite, or 
they've pretty much down to a routine. I think it was pretty much down to a routine. I came across one or two instances of um, someone being hurt in the quarry and uh, no death on someone who was who was badly injured, but I didn't come across any death. Oh, that's, yeah, that is that is interesting. That's to know what they were doing. And, and going back to, you said that th- this farming with dynamite or the use of stones coincided with the building of the Brooklyn Bridge. The stones were used in the Brooklyn Bridge. Is that the idea? They, they were used in the, uh, the piers and in what they call the anchorage. And um, the anchorage is actually inside the Brooklyn Bridge on either end of it. And uh, they are these marvelous, see some of the photos, they are these marvelous um, barrel vaults that well, anchor the bridge at both ends. Now, with the Erie Canal, which was becoming the Barge Canal, they used it in building the canal, or did they use the canal to ship the stones some distance? They used it for the locks in places. And it's hard to describe over the phone, but uh, they... They would stack stack the stone to hold the lock so that it could go up and down from that point. All right, but there was a use for it in the in the canal itself. But did they also use the canal to ship the product? I'm sure they did. Um, most of it, um, New York City was you know the big the big buyer, and um, one of the quarries was within a. A hundred yards of the railroad, and good for them. Uh, most of the time, uh, it was shipped by rail, typically to Albany. Um, the uh, port in Albany, right there on Pearl Street, uh, was the destination, and from there, it would go on the barge uh, to New York City. And um, I have one story about well, Squire County ranked 12th in the state in terms of uh, producing stone during those years. And uh, we have a, a reference of a, a, a company that had purchased stone for uh, $5 for a cubic yard. Mm. Uh, today, that's $150 for a cubic yard. But that $5 uh, also included shipping <laughs> 40 miles down the railroad from Cobleskill area to Albany, then on the barge down to the East River in Brooklyn uh, for five dollars. So shipping was included in that price. The, the, when they shipped the product, the stone had it been fashioned already or turned into blocks, or did they do that at the other end? It had been fashioned into blocks. So they had to know what to fa- fa- know what they were they were doing, right? I mean, yes, absolutely. It, Absolutely. Well, let me go back farther. This seemed to start with the use of the stones in the Brooklyn Bridge, but what about before that? Weren't that? I mean, some of the the buildings, the stone buildings in Washington, were built before for that period, were, were they not? And I guess what I'm asking is, how did they build stone buildings before the the use of dynamite? Uh, well, the methods were not that different, and I don't really get into that in the book so much, but you know, prior to this, this boom, um, stone from the House Cave area and the, well, the limestone belt in County 
uh, was cut and shipped uh, into Cooperstown. I've got a couple of references to some churches in Albany that you stole from uh, Schoharie County. And, of course, a great example here locally is the old stone fort. Uh, that was all from stone taken from uh, the Schoharie quarry, pre-Revolutionary War. It's sort of like a search and a search mission to find what stone would would work, let's say, to build the old stone fort. That had a lot to do with it. Uh, they could uh, break away some points. Uh, limestone forms naturally in layers, which was a big help to the stonemasons in that they could they could chisel and they found where the layer was. You know, a few hits of the hammer might break it off into a relatively flat surface. Did you say that Schoharie County was 12th, the, the busiest county or pr- productive county providing stone, and that most of the stone that came from Schoharie County was limestone? Yes, all, all limestone. Bluestone is uh, hard to define. It's more of a sandstone, uh, but it, it forms within uh, the limestone blocks. Agriculture in upstate New York, one of the problems always was that there were too many rocks in the farmer's field. They weren't uh, just soil that they could plant in. So this was a, a, a use, for the, use for the rocks. These right. farmers didn't want to, to grow a corn and whatever. They wanted to get the rocks. Right. Large plot of land. Uh, you know, you have the right to do whatever you want with it. And if you intend to make money from that land, well, uh, if farming isn't working, then perhaps farming with dynamite would work for you. <laughs> right. um, but but this depended on the, pop, you know, making uh, dynamite, um, I don't know, popular or it was, um, you said it was DuPont that put it out. Um, I always thought that who is it the the man who who founded the Nobel Prize? I thought he invented dynamite over in Scandinavia. Oh, you're testing my knowledge here. I think he invented nitroglycerin. Oh, that's what he used invented. In dynamite. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Don't you know? I well, think well, that's. Well, what it is. I don't want to test your knowledge again, but but what is dynamite? Uh, it started as gunpowder, uh, and then uh, nitroglycerin was used, and it is uh, a, a, the, well, let me talk about the, the different strengths. Um, so dynamite is rated based on the explosive power of that very first stick of dynamite made with gunpowder. Um, the records that I have, they used uh, a couple of different brand names from DuPont. One was called Red Cross Extra, and I know the Red Cross fight to get rid of that name. But uh, in addition to Red Cross Extra, they had what was called Quarry Gelatin. And the Red Cross Extra was, uh, these are both using nitroglycerin now, and nitroglycerin is a jelly. And essentially DuPont would load nitroglycerin into a a tube that was six inches around, about 18 inches deep, um, 
And on top of that, they would load what they called filler. And that could be anything, sawdust, sand, uh, what have you. And that was rated at 40% of that original gunpowder stick of dynamite. And then the quarry gelatin, the same thing. They would load it with nitroglycerin, but that was rated at 60% the strength of the original gunpowder dynamite. Now, getting back to Scary County's role in this whole effort to uh, produce stones to put into public buildings or other big stone structures that somebody somewhere wanted uh, to to build. Uh, Schoharie County is a, well known for its caves. Uh, and, you know, people go, as, as you know, I mean, go underground a lot. <clears throat> but it was only number 12. I was sort of disappointed when you said they were number 12 in uh, counties in terms of producing the stones from dynamite. Uh, what were the, do you know what the leaders, who the leaders were no, in New York State? Uh, Erie and Onondaga counties were the big producers. Erie and Onondaga. Right, right. Erie out in western right. New York and Onondaga is around um, with Syracuse, right? Right, right, right. And that's actually about where the limestone belt begins. Uh, it's called Manlius Limestone, and you may recall Manlius is a name of a community just outside of Syracuse. And then this, this Manlius Limestone, they call it, extends uh, well east towards Albany through Schoharie County, and then down uh, south even into Pennsylvania. So it's quite an extensive uh, uh, run of limestone, uh, anywhere from 350 to 450 million years old. But my hunch would be that it was hard to make a living generally in Scary County because you had farming and then you had maybe tourism with the with the caves. But but this was a, a great supplement to that, I would guess. Absolutely, I, and I think, and I I don't have anything to back it up, but I I think that between uh, uh, the boom years, that quarrying may have. Uh, exceeded farming as the uh, you know county's uh, gross product. Um, uh, you know there was the big quarry, the Klondike quarry, just outside of Cobuskill, and 453 men working for it at one time, um, which in a population of Cobuskill is 2,000 at best, and was uh, less than that around the uh, early 1900s. So the bulk of the population was was working for a quarry. Again, uh, two two questions, if I remember them both. Uh, I think that was a a very uh, astute use of the word boom years, because I guess they were boom years. Things were going boom. Yes, exactly. And what happened to all these quarrymen that were employed? Well, some were picked up by the House Cave Quarry, and the difference, uh, what what kept the Howes Cave Quarry going, is they really never got into the uh, solid stone business. They crushed stone and they made cement. Um, some of them, I'm sure, were picked up in the Howes Cave Quarry. Uh, two other quarries lived through it all. One is the Cobleskill Quarry, and they've moved now to Howes Cave. 
but they 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 crush stone for highway use, aggregate, blacktop, that type of thing. And they have a, a quarry in Schoharie as well. Uh, they survive through the through the bust. Huh. And do you know? Go ahead. Uh, the rest of them have been abandoned. Uh, some of them you, you wouldn't know that they were ever there. Um, you know, if if you have, let's say, you're in a in a room that's twelve by twelve, and that room is a solid block of limestone, and you start taking you know cubic yards of that out, um, that's a lot of stone. So you can take a lot of stone from an area without leaving a, a great mark, and that was the case in most, I think, in most of the quarries that are around around the area. Um, I drive up Cobleskill's Quarry Street just about every day, and you you'd never know that a quarry was there. Nature has has, uh, has reclaimed the property, and there there is still a quarry or two or more today. Yeah, the uh, the one in House Cave and the one in Skull, two in Schoharie, I should say, and they mm-hmm. they um, make crushed stone for highway construction mostly. Where the stone was taken, you say it didn't change the nature of the land, so the land has gone back to farmland, or maybe it's just unused. In a couple of instances, yes. Again, you can walk right by them, and you you might not think a quarry was ever there. Uh, the, a couple of the big ones. I keep going back to the Klondike Quarry because that that was the the largest of the bunch. Uh, yeah, you'd know a quarry was there. Uh, very high high uh, rock walls where the stone was taken, and we used to repel <laughs> off the walls when I was a younger man. Uh, yeah, and uh, nothing is there anymore. It's just been uh, abandoned. Well, I tell you. Uh, uh... I always somehow work in something about my hometown of Amsterdam. <clears throat> I remember we had a rock quarry, we called it, in the east end of Amsterdam, and it was in that hole that they dug from in the ground that a famous restaurant, it's long gone now, called the Teepee, was built. Okay, but, uh-huh. So, I mean, so it, this was in an urban area, kind of, that they had this quarry. Well, at one point um, during all this, there were six quarries in the village of Cobleskill. And there were three cutting yards along the D&H Railroad. And at each end of the village, you can picture the village of Cobleskill, but at each end of the village there was a quarry. And crossing Main Street were small rail lines to get to the cutting yards near the the D&H Railroad. And then in the middle of the village, um, Legion Drive, it's called, there were also small quarries there. So there were three separate uh, railroad crossings on Main Street. Can you imagine Cloverfield wow. today with something like that? that and um, again, I, I walk through the village all the time and, and I look for some, I know they were there and I look for remnants of quarrying in these places, and you you really you really don't see it. Nature has done a good job of, of reclaiming the area. How did you get interested in this specific topic? 
Well, uh, in Underground Empires, there's a big section on the uh, house cave quarry. And I just started digging a little bit deeper. And as I said, when researching uh, the house cave quarry, uh, bits and pieces of other quarries kept popping up. And finally, this is a lot bigger than I thought it might be. The Cobalt uh, Steel author, Dana Cudmore, with us. Tell us a bit more about the book and where you get it and your website and so forth. It's available in the Schoharie County uh, and in Oneana now. I just uh, sold a few to the Oneana Historical Society. And Catnap Books in Cobleskill, the Apple Barrel, and Schoharie Valley Farms. And it, a website, uh, which is brand new, called How Caverns Tales. And... Um, you can you can order the book there. Uh, I'd rather, frankly, you buy it from a, a local merchant. But happy to always happy to sell a book. Uh, How Caverns Tales is both a website and a blog, and I I update the blog monthly with three or four uh, tales from the from the cave country, along with some uh, well with a photo exhibit of some of the really interesting old photos that uh, have come into my collection. Including a lot from the uh, from the quarrying from the early mm-hmm. 1900s. Well, Dana Cudmore, thanks for telling us about the days of farming with dynamite, uh, the new book by author Dana Cudmore. Uh, thank you very much, and keep us in mind with future stories about caving and um, Schoharie County. Absolutely, and you can check out the website. Anytime, How Caverns Tales, T A L E S dot com. Bob, it's time for the History Mystery every week, part of the Historian's Podcast. It's about time. I would, I would say, I would say, yes. we've got a word in here we, we need to deal with, and I'm glad you spelled it out for me. I'll get to it in a second. People who walk and climb in caves as a sport are called, and now we set the whole thing up here. <laughs> Undertakers, cavemen, spelunkers. Didn't we go around and around on this a little bit, Bob, as to what they actually call themselves? Well, we'll find and out. Spelunkers or geologists. The answer in just a moment. Thank you, Dave. The Historian's Podcast Fund Drive has been uh, raising uh, a good amount of money in the past uh, a couple of weeks and really appreciate the donations some of our more recent generous contributors have been uh, Jackie Murphy, Jim Kaplan, Dave Northrup, and Wanda Birch. We still have a long way to go to reach our $7,000 goal by the end of the year, which is now just two months away. Please donate online to do that. Go to our website, bobcudmore.com. And it's right there in front of you, but it's always hard to find these things. Find the blue area and press the blue button to get to our GoFundMe page, and they'll walk you through uh, giving uh, money to the uh, Historian's Podcast electronically. Or you can write out a check and send that check. Write out the check to me, Bob Cudmore, and send that check to Bob Cudmore, 125 Horstman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. Your support is much 
appreciated. And now the answer to the history mystery. People who walk and climb in caves as a sport are called undertakers, cavemen, spelunkers, or geologists. Well, people who walk and climb in caves as a sport are called spelunkers. It's a funny word, but that's that's what they're called. People who walk and climb in caves. Undertakers, cavemen, spelunkers, or geologists, and they are spelunkers. You've been listening to the Historian's Podcast. Our guest, Dana Cudmore, author of Farming with Dynamite. The Historian's Podcast is produced by Dave Green. I'm Bob Cudmore.